Welcome back to Kids Has Some Shit Podcast, a place we'll be discussing all things in life, according to me. I'm your host, Ken. I definitely got some shit to say. See, I couldn't let this month slip past without giving you a little African-American history, or at least an opinion on a black topic. I mean, do you not know me yet? Do you not? (laughs) This topic in particular is a stereotype that no matter how much I smile or grin, I can't seem to get away from. I want to start by going through a list of ethnic notions, and then I'll discuss the one that hits home. If you've never taken an African-American studies class in college or stumbled across this list at some point in your life, then these characters will be new to you. But the imagery is very familiar. It's something that we all have been either disturbed by seeing on media, on television shows, mostly reality TV, or entertained by. These stereotypes of early American history had a significant role in shaping attitudes towards black citizens during those times and are still very prevalent and alive today. The male characters range from a lazy, shifty, happy, dopey Sambo to that of the savage. Sambo is a simple-minded, docile black man. He's portrayed as dim-witted and slap-happy. The Sambo stereotype flourished during slavery in the United States as it gave off this false idea or rather notion of the happy slave who was seen as naturally lazy and dependent upon his master for direction, justifying slavery, which makes no sense considering a lazy slave would have been a dead slave, right? Blanche from the Golden Girls summed this up on the episode in which she wanted to sell a car and Rose wanted to buy it. Blanche said, My great-granddaddy always said that there are two things you never sell to a friend, a car and a slave, because either one of them quits working, you'll never hear the end of it. Of course, they hang my great-granddaddy. He said a lot of things he shouldn't have. And we all heard of the Uncle Tom, which is now a term used as derogatory epithet for an excessively submissive person particularly when that person perceives their own lower class status based on their race and portrays their own group by participating in its oppression. Whether or not they do so willingly. How would you feel if I told you the original Uncle Tom was more of a martyr beaten to death by his master because he refused to portray two escaped slaves whereabouts in the novel Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe? He was far from one who participate in the oppression of his kinfolk because his values and character was not expected or received well by the majority. It was then reimagined into mistral shows as a pro-slavery, shuffling, asexual individual with a receding hairline and graying hair. Does that not make you think of Uncle Ruckus from the Boondocks? During the Reconstruction period in 1915, the film The Birth of a Nation which was originally entitled The Klansman, marked the change in emphasis from Happy Sambo to the Savage or the Brute. In this film, the Ku Klux Klan tames a terrifying savage who has gone on a rampage of raping of docile, virginal white women and pillaging. I mean, sounds very colonist. Well, they tamed him by lynching him. This imagery followed the emancipation of slaves, and the idea that threatening brutes from the dark continent was revitalized, justifying and encouraging racial-based attacks. The brute can be easily seen in today's movies glorifying thugs and gangster mentality. 
It's okay to kill them because they are killing each other. It's okay to kill them because listen to their music. All they talk about is drugs, bitches, and death. From the 1800s to the mid-1900s, black women were often portrayed in popular culture as several characters. The sassy mammies who ran their own homes was one of them. She ran her own home with an iron fist, including berating her husband and children. She was a large, independent woman with pitch black skin, shining white teeth, and understood the value of white lifestyle. The sassiness was supposed to indicate that they were accepted as members of the white family and acceptance of that sassiness implied that slavery and segregation were not overly oppressive. The stereotype suggests that she raised the master's children and loved them dearly, even more than her own. You know, you is kind, you is ugly, you is important, or however that line goes. Her tendency to give advice to her mistress was seen as harmless and humorous. Although she treated whites with respect, the mammy was a tyrant in her own family. She dominated her children and her husband with her temper. This image of the mammy as the controller of the African-American male was used as further evidence of his inferiority to whites. And she herself wasn't seen as a threat. But let's get one thing straight. She was still used as a belly warmer. This imagery was evolved into the ancient mama, whose duties restricted her to the kitchen, which associated African-American women with domestic work like cooking and caregiving, which became fixed in the minds of society. You know, the help. The Jezebel is another character or ethnic notion. She was the harlot, the hoe, the hot girl, the over-sexualized bad black girl, representing the undeniable sexual side of African-American women. The descriptive words associated with this stereotype are singular in their focus. Lascivious, seductive, alluring, worldly, beguiling, tempting, lewd, portraying black women innately as promiscuous, even predatory, while their white counterparts were characterized as models of self-respect, self-control, and modesty, even sexual purity. <laughs> the lies. The traditional Jezebel was a light-skinned, slender mulatto girl with long, straight hair and small features. She more closely resembled the European ideal for beauty than any pre-existing image. The Jezebel stereotype was used during slavery as a rationalization for sexual relations between white men and black women, especially sexual unions involving slavers and slaves. The Jezebel was depicted as a black woman with an insatiable appetite for sex. The creation of the hypersexual seductress Jezebel served to absolve white males of responsibility in the sexual abuse and rape of African-American women. This rationale is still used in today in the rape culture we live in, where people say, if you aren't a hoe, then why are you wearing a hoe uniform? Last but not least, the Sapphire character. She was a bossy, headstrong woman who was engaged in an ongoing verbal battle with men, emasculating them with her verbal put-downs. The characterization of African-American women as domineering, aggressive, and emasculating shrews became popular during the airing of a radio show called Amos and Andy, where Americans learned that blacks were comical, not as actors, but as a race. The Sapphire character portrays black women as rude, 
loud, malicious, stubborn, and overbearing, becoming what we know as the angry black woman. She is popularized in the cinema and on television, whether there is a majority white cast or black one. She is tart-tongued and emasculating, one hand on her hip, the other pointing and rhythmically rocking her head and locks, mocking men for offenses ranging from the size of their penis, the inability for him to get a job, to sexual pursuits. She is riled up with irrational anger and indignation and is often mean-spirited and verbally abusive. Although black men are her primary target, she has venom for anyone, especially other women, who she feels insults or disrespects her. The Sapphire desires to dominate, and her hypersensitivity to injustice makes her a perpetual complainer. Of course, she does not criticize to improve things. Rather, she criticizes because she is bitter, and misery loves company. The Sapphire is a harsh portrayal of African American women. But it's more than that. It's also a social control mechanism that is employed to punish black women who violate norms that encourage them to be passive, servile, non-threatening, and unseen. The Sapphire is condemned because of her humanness and her unnecessary strength. She is misjudged and perhaps defensive because she may lack the words to begin the conversation on why she appears to be more venomous than she actually is. Caged animals bare their teeth and snap at the pastor's buyers because they are being held back, neglected, teased, and used as entertainment. They are not allowed to be fully themselves. Now, let's add a gender to that caged animal and make her feel responsible for being the voice or the backbone of her community, and then allow her to see a male display in all his beauty and either be praised or shot down. Can you imagine the hurt? the abandonment, the betrayal she might feel. See, this podcast is not a him against me or a we against them because we all slid into this earth through the canal of a woman's treasure, no matter the bumpy road that was taken to get us here or the mayhem that created us. We are merely discussing the sapphire and how she is the angry black woman and the strong black woman wrapped into one. So today's podcast is about her. It's about me and every woman whose sass or independence or nonconformity has rocked people to believe that we are inhuman and how the trope of the strong black woman can be harmful. In the book Talking Back, Arthur Bell Hook says, it is not that black women have not been and are not strong. That's a dimension. Just as suffering is another dimension, one that has been most unnoticed and unattended to. The stereotype of the strong black woman is more than just a cultural trope. Many black women in America report feeling pressured to act like a superwoman, projecting themselves as strong, self-sacrificing, and free of emotion to cope with the stress of race and gender-based discrimination in their day-to-day. The stress has been linked to various long-term physical and mental ailments such as high blood pressure, heart disease, depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts because of the expectation that black women need to look strong and God forbid they discuss their challenges, including health-related ones. The superwoman scheme includes five elements, feeling an obligation to present an image of strength, feeling an obligation to suppress emotions, resistance to being vulnerable, 
a drive to succeed despite limited resources and feeling an obligation to help others. And the gag is that the strong black woman's power is only celebrated when it is in service to others. Our empathy, our sympathy, our nurturing nature is the reason, I think, why people are drawn to her or rather me. See, that strong black woman is validated, admired, and praised based on how they or we behave, how we take care of others, how we lessen others' workloads, not on who we are. In the eyes of society, what we do becomes who we are. And most of these narratives devote very little attention, if none, to our inner life for its own sake. Although strength, resilience, and preservation are amazing aspects to have, we have to be honest and aware that due to the myth of the strong black woman, it can all slowly take a toll on our mental and emotional wellness. It's difficult to be emotionally present when you feel pressured to be everywhere else mentally and physically. It's literally the romanticized idea of our strength that is causing us grief. I'm not superhuman. I do not have Thanos' glove or Hulk's power, nor am I some sort of Amazon who runs fast and refuses to live in the present because her love is in the past. See, the stereotype of black women being strong is presented as praise of our character. However, the stress can be crippling. The stress of life can have a significant impact on your overall health and well-being, no matter who you are. I will never trivialize your lived experience, but I speak for this black woman, and I know the stress and the health effects that can be amplified, especially when stereotypes of pain levels and centuries of racism along with the harmful, strong black woman stereotype that black women are more resilient and inherently stronger than white women. That has a catastrophic effect on the health outcomes of black women from the cradle to the grave. We can discuss the father of gynecology and his uses of black bodies to operate and experiment on without anesthesia, but we'd be here all damn day. And healthcare myths that black people have thicker skin or less sensitive nerve endings. See, these misconceptions have led to the undertreatment of black patients and even proven fatal for black mothers who experience undertreatment during childbirth. We had Serena Williams tell us her story of how she almost lost her life having her baby. Did you know black women have a life expectancy that's three years shorter on average and die from strokes due to high blood pressure at a higher rate than white women? And some of the root causes is directly related to stress. The concept has also historically discouraged many from seeking mental health counseling. Psychological studies suggest that while black women have one of the highest rates of depression, they are undertreated for mental health as a demographic. We are told to go to church and pray on it, walk it off, instead of seeking help with mental health. Because ain't nothing wrong with us. We just want something to complain about, right? Plus, a psychologist treating black patients has to have a worldview that recognizes sociocultural causes of distress and mental illness. A psychologist who doesn't understand how gendered racism works, especially in its subtle form, including microaggressions, could easily minimize this woman's concerns as an internal explanation for psychological distress that 
do not account for external or environmental factors. See, we aren't strong because we want to be. It's because we have to be. We have to put our best foot forward, no matter the mental or physical strain. In households affected by the pipeline from school to jail or the lack of funding in zones with the failure of the school system leaving no child behind when they should be, the need for two or more incomes to sustain basic needs or raising a child in a single-parent home, there is no mommy vacation breaks in a country where the minimum wage doesn't align with the amount needed to get a mortgage in your tax bracket, let alone to pay rent that exceeds it. Other women are allowed to be timid and docile or submissive and delicate or stressed and distressed while black women are seen as either angry or aggressive. We aren't allowed to be in our head about life and love and pain without being forced to smile by some man that feels as though he has a right to our time and our space and our bodies. And sometimes we give in because we don't want to be seen as angry or human because he has no clue about the call from the doctor we just received about the cancer diagnosis or the bill that's waiting on our table from someone running to our car or the girl friend from the ex harassing and threatening us from someone else's phone at all times of the night because he lied to her about some one-way text messages he sent in the middle of the night trying to get back with you. See, the man and the world collectively doesn't care about your personal trials and tribulations because on the surface and above all else, we are supposed to conform and perform. Black women pitted against the beauty, social, or cultural norms or standards of others in the same sex. When we do conform, we are called out for self-hatred. And when we don't, we are called out for not trying, not living up to the expectation for our 4C hair. The strong black woman stereotype is one that many black women internalize even to the detriment of our mental health. Black women are sexually objectified, told that we are not pretty enough, not smart enough, and not worthy enough. We face discrimination in employment, education, judicial system, health care, and in our everyday lives. There's a well-documented history of this invisibility and silence of black women for being scared to be perceived or misunderstood as a sapphire. We are often overlooked and unheard until we get loud and then we are shamed and blamed for any repercussions that come with us standing up for ourselves and being heard. And usually the pointed fingers are from those of masculine energy that we've birthed into this world. Black women are expected to perform outlandish feats of bravery and ridiculous demands from everyone around us and then expected to be meek and mild and some full type of ladylike. We are taught to grin and bear it and to swallow our pain like blackberry molasses. Black women are expected to persist and embody self-confidence that doesn't resemble the treatment that we receive. And we are somewhat at fault because our silence and invisibility shape the stereotype and the expectation that black women remain strong at any and all cost. It all is triggering sometimes. Why do I have to choose between being strong and vulnerable? Why can't I be both? I may wish to use my black girl magic on a Monday and then lock myself in a tower, tossing a sheet out of the window because these bundles cost too much and and I hope to be rescued on hump day. But who sets things up like this? Who told us that we were meant to experience stress and pain and grief alone? We are to bear a heavy burden without asking for help as we help others. 
who said that strength was carrying the weight of the world squarely on our shoulders instead of just taking as much as we can handle and no more. See, let's re-explore nagging as positive affirmations. The bitterness reanalyzed as disappointment or hurt, which can be addressed by balancing external responsibilities while allowing ourselves time to take care of ourselves and self-care. Strength needs to be reimagined as the courage to vocalize your vulnerabilities and needs. No longer should we be hiding away in our cars and showers and nooks and undercovers, silently crying or attempting to drown out our wails because we don't want to be seen as weak or undeserving or see realizing weakness or feeling weak is not a nasty word. It must be reweighed. See, rose petals are dainty. They are not weak. And butterfly wings are gauzy. They are not weak. Our veins are fine. They are not weak. We are delicate. There is nothing weak about us. Accepting that you cannot should not, and don't have to do it all by yourself. Relax, relate, and releasing yourself from the expectation of the myth by choosing yourself at times before choosing others, especially when you begin to feel overwhelmed. It just so happens that I do consider myself emotionally resilient, and I just so happen to be a black woman, but neither are related, but I am so much more in both, and it just so happens to be. But if black women are better equipped at dealing with stressful situations or crisis, it is only because we are forced to through social conditioning and domestication. That was started from a young age. As soon as I hit puberty, I began to be called intimidating and black men started whistling out of windows at me. And the female figures in my life began to adultify my juvenile lived experience. And since then, the cycle of our social interactions are always the same. People remark on how intimidating I appear at first because I do not force a smile or think I owe them one because I'm existing. Or apparently I didn't receive the memo that I'm supposed to be shucking and jiving upon greeting them. But soon after, I'm showered with astonishment of my articulation and being cultured. See, yes, I've seen parts of the world to have a good collection of stamps in my passport, but it is frustrating being pigeonholed into a narrow paradigm of what people expect from a black woman, especially one with a slight southern drawl. I've never met a single black woman who fits completely in any of these stereotypes, and I, for one, certainly do not. They could easily be blanketed across women who toss around African-American vernacular on social media. I'm accused and placed in a box before ever opening my mouth. And the same energy that anyone else gives is stained as aggressive when it's assumed to come from me. The trope of the strong black woman leads to an expectation of me to rise and smile and cook and clean and work and volunteer because it's not believable that I too am suffering. The stereotype of black folks being lazy keeps me from immediately connecting to the next doctor or therapist or calling in sick to hug and love up on myself. See, the lack of nuance surrounding black women and our societal image is very damaging. We have strict rules on how we can and we cannot behave. Sassy? Yes, sometimes. Outspoken? It depends. Demanding? Perhaps. But it can be seen as aggressive. If muted, we better watch our facial expressions because someone will accuse us of being angry. Why you got an attitude? I don't. 
Well, you look like you do. You're not saying nothing. Do you want me to speak or be quiet? I can't just be. See, are we strong? Yes. Yes, we are. Are we angry? Sometimes we are disappointed too. But what we are always is magic. It is particularly because we are resilient. Yes, we have a long history of taking what we have to make what we need, but we are human. And like everyone else, we have multifaceted personalities with fluctuating emotions. Before you call someone angry, consider what your role is in their anger. What role did you play? Should ask the bitch, is she okay? She might need a fucking hug. Thank you for listening. Every Wednesday, you can find me at Kid Says Some Shit on Instagram where you can leave a question, comment, concern. If you have a topic you'd like me to discuss on an upcoming episode, drop it in my DMs. See you guys next week. Have a blessed rest of Black History Month.